Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. I understood that I haven't told you about a very interesting aspect of whole Soviet culture, because if you remember in the Gulag series, I ended up stating that all the USSR was a kind of a huge prison, which was kind of this prison culture going throughout the whole Union and just, you know, creeping its way into the everyday language, and what does that mean? And it all just got messed up. So, uh, we'll be talking about all of that here and some more. Because, you know, usually August is um, considered to be the most boring month in the media world. Especially if you're the politics reporter guy, because for some reason nothing much usually happens in August. But, but oh boy, not this one. And um, I'm not going to talk about, about the sad death of uh, Senator John McCain here. He was a great ally of the Baltics and Ukraine and all Eastern Europe, so... You know, we're going to be missing him. And, uh, like, uh, I don't really know exactly all of his positions in the internal U.S. politics, but uh, as far as far as our region goes and his impact on us, yeah, we will really miss him. But, um, but this is not an episode about McCain, because, well, I think my American colleagues uh, and journalists will, will write about that one better. But, um, but, you see, the leader of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic... Alexander Zaharchenko got assassinated. And this is what we know so far, because this is, um, this is a complex thing. So Zaharchenko, who was the head of this Eastern Ukraine's Donetsk People's Republic, was killed in a cafe bombing in downtown Donetsk on Friday, August the 31st. Uh, it was an explosion, and the, the bomb apparently was put into, into a light bulb uh, on the ceiling, so... But uh, the blast injured several people, including the finance minister of the DNR, Alexander Timofeyev. According to the newspaper Vedomosti, the Separ, or Separatist, cafe also belongs to the Zaharchenko's chief of security. And, you know, Zaharchenko's home is also just around the corner from, from this, uh, this location. The Separatist authorities in Donetsk are officially calling Zaharchenko's assassination a terrorist attack. 
The news agency Interfax, about whom I've also spoken in previous episodes, reports that local police immediately apprehended several people identified as, quote, <clears throat> Ukrainian saboteurs and others connected to them, end quote, who were apparently discovered in a car on Bogdan Khmelnytsky Avenue, not far from the blast site. Sources told the tabloid Life, Life, uh, by the way, is Donetsk newspaper, that one of Zakharchenko's guards is also suspected in, of involvement in the bombing, but apparently he has managed to evade police. Russian state officials are blaming the Ukrainian government for Zaharachenko's murder. Quote, There is every reason to suspect that the Kyiv regime is behind this killing. More on that once it's used similar methods to eliminate dissidents and critics. End quote. That was said by uh, Maria Zaharova, which is a well-known kind of mouthpiece uh, for Kremlin. She's a foreign ministry spokesperson. And uh, Leonid Kalashnikov, the chairman of the state Duma's uh, kind of uh, foreign affairs committee, attributed the bombing to parties interested in weakening the DNR. <clears throat> quote, in other words, the current authorities in Kiev and no one else, end quote. Now, obviously, officials in Kiev have denied any role in the bombing. Igor Guskov, a top official at Ukraine's National Security Service, said his office has reason to believe Zaharchenko's murder was the result of internal conflict over the redistribution of assets squeezed from struggling businesses. But he also speculated that Russian special forces may have finally decided to, quote, <clears throat> eliminate this rather odious figure who, according to our information, was hindering the Russians. Alexander Zaharchenko was kind of the top dog in this DNR since, you know, it was created in April 2014. He was first as the deputy Inter interior minister, then he was Donetsk's military commandant, and then as the chairman of the DNR's Council of Ministers. He became the head of this so-called republic in November 2014, when separatists held elections, which, you know, obviously went unrecognized by the outside world. In Ukraine, Zaharchenko was wanted by police on charges of forming a terrorist organization. And, you know, both the United States and us in the EU imposed sanctions against him. And, by the way, we, like, there are documentation that shows that he had um, actually, you know, been a, been a patient in one of the kind of mental asylums in Ukraine, too, at least for two years, with uh, severe delusions of grandeur, but, hey... But that's the kind of the, the interesting part. See, in recent years, several top DNR officials who took arms early in the arms early in the war have basically met violent ends to their lives. In October 2016, an elevator bomb killed Arsen Pavlov, uh, basically known by his you know war nickname Motorola. And in February 2017, Mikhail Tolstich or Givi also died in an explosion, and, you know, at that point he was just sitting on, on his office. On both occasions, obviously, the DNR blamed <clears throat> Ukrainian saboteurs, and Kiev denied any involvement whatsoever. Vladimir Putin, however, has expressed his condolences, quote, <clears throat> Mr. Zaharchenko was a true popular leader, a brave and resolute person, and a patriot of the Donbass. In a difficult time for his native land, he stood up for its defense and took on great personal responsibility. Putin states that the rebel leader's wild murder further demonstrates that, quote, those who chose terror, violence, and intimidation are standing in the way of a peace settlement in eastern Ukraine. They are making a dangerous bet on the destabilization of the situation and hoping to force people of the Donbass to their knees. And weirdly enough, uh, by this point, Russia's Federal Investigative Committee says it has opened a criminal case, treating the bombing as an act of international terrorism. 
which is super weird as, you know, Zaharchenko, at least officially, is not a Russian citizen, and Moscow formally regards Donetsk to be a part of, you know, Ukraine. So this just adds a bit to the whole strangeness of the matter. So, you know, to have an actual some sort of hands-on opinion, I contacted my friend Viktor Litovchenko, the guy who runs Vata TV YouTube channel, and if you speak Russian or understand Russian, go check that one out. They, they're our friends, and uh, I get a lot of news from them. They make kind of a story news retrospects uh, daily, by the way, on their YouTube channel, and they're amazing and great guys. They don't make that in English, though, so it's only relevant to those of you who actually speak Russian, but go check out Vata TV to get some, like, really quality political entertainment. And I asked him about, um, about this whole Zaharchenko murder, which are the more, like, real opinions about who did it and why and what happened. And, you know, I asked him to write, write a piece for me, which I then translated into English. And uh, this is what, what he said, being a journalist from Ukraine. Quote, <clears throat> and this is going to be full-on his quote here. In the story with the liquidation of Zaharchenko, there is nothing really sensational or strange. Quite opposite, actually. It's the completely logical continuation of the life stories of all the previous Erzat's heroes of the pro-Russian terroristic formations in the territory of Ukraine. The amount of accidents where such people were killed in the past three years have already reached dozens. And Zaharchenko was left as one of the last who, by a strange twist of events, had still somehow stayed alive. And, well, finally, it was now his turn. Look at the initiators of war in 2014. They're either dead or missing without trace, like Zaharchenko's colleague from Luhansk, Mr. Plutnitsky. Many managed to escape to the territory of Russia, from which some were even given back to Ukraine under the legal basis of them having broken migration laws. It's a weird story. Everyone who was rooting for a new, happy life in territories of Donetsk or Luhansk, tearing them away from Ukraine, no longer live there anymore. And they got lucky if they're still alive. We'll probably never find out who killed Zaharchenko. If this is the work of Ukrainian Secret Service, then we can con congratulate them with a job well done. Now, not only Mossad can take pride of achieving success in quick and silent elimination of terrorists, but more likely it was the work of Russian Secret Services who control these criminal formations under the guise of self-proclaimed republics. And everyone who won't obey, won't do what Moscow says, won't do the orders of their masters without any questions, and, you know, without haste, is sure to suffer the same fate. It's also possible that this is just some inner dealings of the local criminal groups. As all the pseudo-economy of these regions that have been torn away from Ukraine consists of smuggling, trafficking drugs, arms trading, and scrapping down and selling the assets of the few industry, businesses, and mines that still remain from 2014. But anyway, whatever the truth is, the final result of this whole history remains the same. And that is the well-known finale of any criminal organization that lives by the criminal laws." End quote. So yeah, Zaharchenko is dead, and uh, personally, I th don't think that the Ukrainian Secret Service had anything to do with it, because honestly, why would Ukraine care specifically about the you know, specific person running the whole thing? It doesn't really destabilize things. And one of the other theories going on, uh, on on the Russian internet right now is is the fact that Putin might use this to escalate the conflict in uh, eastern Ukraine as to kind of boost up his popularity, you know, his tendency for short, victorious wars. You know, as he does and has done, starting with 1999 and all these nice bombings in the Ryazan and the Second Chechen War and all that stuff. 
And seeing that, you know, his approval ratings have gone down, since actually he also spoke about this pension reform, which I guess I've mentioned in previous political episodes, but his ratings have gone down, his government ratings have also gone down, so he's just a bit worried, because about, like, 83% of the population disapprove of the increasing age for retirement in Russia. So, you know, he might want to want to do something to activate his uh, superpower of, you know, small victorious wars again. This is kind of undetermined by this point. But the last line of Mr. Litovchenko kind of ties into the rest of today's story. See, the line about the criminal laws, you know, it makes perfect sense to me. As I, as I was translating it, I thought, yeah, it totally makes sense. But I found a need to explain this a bit, because... These criminal laws is a thing that is very well known here in the post-Soviet sphere. They're very strong still in Russia, and obviously they have modified over, but but they have their roots in the 30s. And, you know, at least in the Baltics here, because we're part of the EU, we're struggling, but, you know, trying at least, and quite successfully, to eliminate these complex and strange prison laws. But they definitely have had their impact on the whole, like, Soviet society in general. Because the language of these criminal terms uh, kind of got into our culture. And like I said at the beginning of the show, this whole Soviet Union was a massive prison mentality. And, you know, everyone lived or by understandings, which is uh, by these criminal laws. Basically, everyone had a hunch about them. So it's just a, just a part of the culture that I don't think I've actually explained. I don't know. I may might have spoken about this a bit in my KGB history stories, but, um, yeah, I never actually thought about the fact that I might need to explain this, which, which really is the way how people, how people who have basically served their time and who are steeped into this criminal world, and yes, I am talking about the guys who are, um, running the Donetsk and Lugansk separatist public, and also Putin himself from the KGB and stuff, because he knows these laws. He worked at the KGB, if you remember, and, you know, you don't really leave KGB. This idea that um, that they still live by these unwritten laws of the thieves, unwritten laws of the criminals, that more um, they don't act, especially the kind of Putin's up-governmental up guys, you know, they, they might pretend like they're acting like a democratic nation and a government in their dealings with, um, in their dealings with, with Western countries, uh, but amidst themselves, the political elite of Russia certainly live by, by kind of the same principles as life is organized in Russia's prisons or work colonies and, and other camps. Because, obviously, uh, the people in power are have come from the 1990s criminal authorities. And we had similar issues here, but this overwhelming idea and the intimate knowledge of these prison laws, yeah, when, when well, it needs to be explained because a lot of people, the opposition especially, claim that, hey, yeah, Putin is living by them. But, you know, to understand their basic meanings and their ideas, you have to have, not have to understand them. And this also kind of ties into whole of my phone service thing, because my phone service where I work and my day job is literally two blocks away from our central prison. So, you know, sometimes we get requests from people bringing stuff in illegally or dealing with folks who, like, have obviously stolen stuff. And, you know, sometimes you, you deal with some criminal elements coming to your phone service, too. 
And yeah, I, I know it might sound a bit weird, but all three of our prisons in Riga are quite close to the city center, so, you know, not like... And they're kind of in the midst of these industrial regions, and, and my uh, service where I work and my day job is in one of these industrial regions, so that kind of ties in there. But yeah, to kind of explain how Putin thinks, and, you know, the, the stuff that, you know, KGB rungs knew, and how everyone in the 90s who were tied to this organized crime, and how this Putinist mafia, is, you know, it, it is basically a kleptocracy mafia on state, you know, what, what kind of laws do they have? And they have these, they have these criminal laws, which are all based up in case system of prisoners. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. So to start about this, um, I'm going to give you the tales from Mikolai Ziadok who uh, was just one of the one of the a lot of people who actually spoken about this system which everyone literally knew and stuff but he actually tried to explain uh, these things in English and it was kind of uh, he's from Belarus but that that's the same thing goes on in Russia as well the thing is he's also ri just written about this in English and it was just more easier for me to find someone who's been into a, you know, Soviet-style prison with all the case system, everything, who's written about that in English, then just brutally translate everything from Russian. Although, obviously, most of my comments, which will come besides this story, uh, will come, like, from Russian sources, which I have translated. This whole description, for the uh, most part, comes from the writings of Mikolai Jadok, who is, by the point of writing, which is, uh, as he wrote it, is, it, was about, uh, it was about 2016, uh, from this article, from autonom.org, by the way, at that point he was an activist of the anarchist movement. Nikolai was born in the town of Bragin in Gomel region. He graduated from the Belarusian State University College of Law. He worked as a judicial custodian in the, in the court of Centralny District of Minsk and was a legal, adv legal advisor in a private company. In 2009, he entered the European Humanities University in Vilnius, specializing in political science and European studies. On September uh, 2011, he was detained in Minsk on suspicion of the attack on the embassy of Russia. He was convicted of participation in a protest actions near the General Staff, the House of Trade Unions, and the casino Shangri-La in the so-called Case of Anarchists. He received 4.5 years prison sentence. Three months before his release, he was sentenced to another year of imprisonment under the, the, act, uh, uh, under the Article of 411 of the Criminal Code, Willful Disobedience to Prison Administration. 
He was released on August 22, 2015 by presidential decree on presidential pardon. Uh, Mikolai did not write a petition for clemency, although it was repeatedly offered. And now, by this point, uh, at least in 2016, he was a first-year student at the, Econom uh, the European Humanities University, specializing in world politics and economics. And although there are, like I said, there are a bunch of, bunch of subjects of uh, the authorities in prison hierarchy and how that thing works, he mostly writes about the lowest one, the pituhi. Although there are the, the downcast ones, the roosters, that's the literal translation. And they're, you know, usually known as apushinli, which is the downcast thing, or bugger, or, or whatever. All, all these all these guys. Because um, he mainly writes about the one prison case, the existence of which characterizes the system as a whole. And, you know, that's the system where, basically, if we would compare this system to how Putin treats everyone else... Well, he considers uh, his political opponents to be Petuhi, and he's really afraid to become one. Because, you know, uh, this this is kind of, although it's more more concentrated on this this uh, lower caste, but the lower, but like the, the the fear of becoming a member of this lower caste is essentially the reason of all the order and and everything that's actually going down in the prison system. So let's let's start with a with a historical background. Case of the so-called petuhi or roosters is you know obviously traditionally associated with homosexuality. And if you approach this from from this point of view, everything is simple. Homosexuality in prisons has always existed, even in Tsarist prisons and gulags. But uh, due to the extremely macho and homophobic nature of prison code, this prison laws, this papanyatium or panyatia or understandings, which would be a direct translation, but every everyone understands what panyatia means. They are kind of the reasons. It kind of becomes clear why um, a gay person in prison is automatically relegated to downcasts. This whole prison culture is also characterized by content for all women. They basically level the women to subhuman creatures. They don't have the right to their own will. Yeah. This also is included, by the way, and this attitude instantly transfers to homosexuals as well. Except if it's your mom. If it's your mom, then you know you always love it. But the downcast case only consists of these homosexuals to a small or degree. For the most, most part, it consists of people who have committed offenses against this informal prison law, these panyatia. And it's worth, worth, worth remark that these petuhi, as a caste, with strict rules for entry and exit from it, or, or rather the impossibility of exit, it appeared not such a long time ago. Like I said, it all began in 1930s. Like, and, and the weirdest part is that it became really strong in the 90s, actually. So it was not, for example, inherent to Tsarist prisons in the Gulag, according to those sources which I've read, too. But the emergence of a case of prison untouchables relates to the late Soviet period. Literally, late. Uh, like... Like a like 80s early 90s, and there are there are quite a few researchers. Like there are actually academical works written on this topic, and the they these guys well uh, believe that because uh, obviously uh, the guys who have sat in prison for the most part are not researchers themselves. Uh, but the idea of the emergence of a case of prisoners whom you may you may kind of not touch with hands, although that again has gone downhill now because you know in uh, strict prisons where a mass prison population it's really hard not to touch people it's a reaction of the thieves world to so-called bitch wars who wanted to save save themselves thieves had to invent an alternative to murder to punish the guilty guys so you know in in um, in post-soviet era there are way way less prison murders 
because it's just not common to kill people in prisons here, because everyone's sitting in prison, so becoming this apushenli or down, downtrodden or this petuch or rooster, that's a way of punishing people. Also, there's a theory that this petuchikost was a reaction to the overcrowding of detention centers. In a situation of overcrowding and presence in view of other inmates 24 hours per day, 7 days per week, the most effective and hard form of punishment actually would be an all-out contempt and ostracism, an extreme form of ignoring. Like, it's crazy, but yeah, sometimes it's worse than murder. But about the case in general, because Pituhi characterizes everything else, they're a minor part of, of the whole prison system there. Historically, there were only three masti, or cases. Masti is also the term used for cards, so now there are four of them at this point. There were the thief, which is vor, or blatnoi, or peasant, or muzik, and this rooster, or petuch. In this hierarchy, you can descend from the highest one to the lowest. You can't work your way up the case ladder. In modern criminal kind of prison culture in, well, uh, Russia, Belarus, and you know other post-Soviet countries, the prisoners are divided in some somewhat different cases, namely the criminals, the professional ones, blatnoi, the commoners, muzik, just the man, kajol, or you know a jackass, or, or yeah, basically just a jackass, and then there's rooster. Blatnoi is a professional criminal who lives by conducting criminal business outside of prison. His mission is to promote the thieves' idea, wherever he is, to establish a backdoor, which is conduct corruption of correctional administrators, transfer the life of prisoners from the line of official rules and concepts into the law of thieves, Panyatia. Those guys are... Those guys basically run the whole show. They are professional criminals, they are prohibited to do any work while in prison, and outside of prison they are only allowed to kind of get uh, get their sustenance from from not working any honest jobs. They have to be professional criminals. And according to the older traditions, according to the older traditions, uh, these guys, you know, you couldn't become a blatnoi in the prison society if you even have, like, served in the army or something. But blatnoi is closely related to the famous term vorvzakonia, which is kind of, uh, kind of the same thing a massive criminal authority when outside of prison. These guys, when in prison, become... Blatnoi. These guys run the whole the, the whole thing with, um, with kind of an iron fist. They are the guys, according to the thieves' laws, the panyatia, these this strange, obscure system. Only they, these latni, have the right to classify a prisoner as a downcast. However, due to the fact that you know, not all prisons have these thieves or vorvzakonye. Uh, this is this rule is not always upheld. That's why you know downcast classification is done by anyone, operating officer Kajol, or sometimes by some sort of bunch of muzhiks after a collective decision. But traditionally, you know, you're, if you wanna, like, if if uh, you've done something bad, the fact of your crime is, and the fact that you know you're gonna be apushanly or this petuch now, these one of these downtrodden case in prisons. Technically, it was done by a so-called bazaar, literally a market, but uh, bazaar also means kind of this uh, council of blatni, of this upper caste. Upper caste guys, essentially, uh, they hold the obshak, which is the common, common pool of stuff, which in prison means like cigarettes and tea and you know candy and uh, all the other things that you could get into prison. These guys, 
these guys have a control over that, and basically they are the local prison government, the informal prison government, disobeying whom will get you in more trouble than disobeying administration. And at least in Russia, in modern-day Russia, the prisons are divided into two categories. There are the red ones, and then there are the black ones. The black ones are ones where the real power lies into the hands of these blatnia. They have, like, compromi compromising materials on the prison, prison administration, and, you know, the prison administration have to deal with their opinions so that everything doesn't go into chaos and stuff like that. Uh, those are basically mostly these open-type prisons. If kind of the harshness level of prison goes down, then the more power the kind of the traditional criminal society has in the said prison. The more kind of the security status of the prison goes up, the more power by the administration, because, you know, they just literally have more people there. But yeah, these Blatnia, they are the guys, and they use the obshak, by the way, not to just feed themselves, but they also, you know, if you, if you go into the isolation chamber, like the, the special... Uh, play, like if you go to the special punishment, shizo, uh, basically called, uh, like you know, if you go into this isolation chamber for like fifteen days, then these guys will give you cigarettes and and stuff, so-called griev, which is basically warming up. You know, they make your life palatable. That's why the abshak even exists to kind of support everyone around them, and they also serve as the judges and everything, and they're kind of listened to. But, you know, those guys are professional criminals who just make sure everything is in order in prison. And lately, well, at least um, in kind of more newer things, they also are responsible for, like, inner peace in prison. So that, you know, so that there wouldn't be any bispridel or uh, kind of fuck-upery fuck or something uh, in prison. That means so that, you know, random prisoners wouldn't get beaten up without a reason, and you go to them for for solving your problems... Because they have all the authority, and they also have authority outside of prison. Okay, so, these are the Blatnoi. If you think about it, they're the criminal authorities who run the whole prison thing. Then there are Muziks. Muziks, or the men, or just, you know, random standard, a guy. Uh, a guy, or Muzik, is, is basically the dude who is not nosy. He's not a professional criminal. He wants to just serve his sentence and go out and lead a normal life. He's not interested in anything except for how to leave on parole. He's kind of in the situation of uh, sort of cross-command in several forces, you know. Thieves and Kazyols and prison administration stuff, basically, they kind of order Muziks around, but Muziks are like 85% of whole prison population, and they're just, you know, your average guys who don't want to become professional criminals, who don't want to live a life of crime, they just want to survive in prison and go through it and be done with it. They're the standard guys in prison. There are Kazyols. Which is like like goats essentially. They are they're also called the Reds often, and they are the guys who are uh, openly collaborating with the administration. Yeah, also Muzik cannot work in <clears throat> like he can maybe you know do some tiny work in prison, but he doesn't. Well, he he works, but he do isn't isn't in the, in the official positions. He can't be. Uh, he can't be, uh, for example, the leader of a group. He doesn't work as the librarian. He doesn't do anything which is, which is seen as collaboration with the prison administration. So you know you, you can you can be a mujik, but you you know you have to refuse to to stay a mujik. You have to show that you're tough, and you must not collaborate with the administration as much as possible. You can do some work. You can like not mess other people around. You can, but, but you cannot collaborate with them, and you can't take a position of kind of um, you know, for example, 
uh, it's hard for a mujik to be the prison librarian because that's kind of considered an official position and you can't take those and stay a mujik. But, you know, uh, again, sometimes it's changed lately because um, due, to, due to kind of the softening of all this thing lately, uh, at least some people in the YouTube who've apparently been to Russian prisons lately state that by now it's just not the position, it's what you do. So if you're if you're an older and you you become the prison librarian, it's fine unless you do anything more. Uh, unless you know, basically you can be you can be a mujik in this kind of main cast and not get not get put in down if you just work your job, but you know you also live by papanyatiem, you know, uh, according to this this law of thieves. And then there are those Kazyols, who are prisoners openly collaborating with the administration. Though they usually are convicts with long term of imprisonment. The administration gives those guys duties and some power over other, other inmates. How big is this power depends on the degree of corrections officer's laziness. Basically, there are, there are some cases, and the, our source here, one of the sources, Mikolai, states that, quote, he knows some cases... Uh, he knows some cases where uh, Kozyols drew up a violation act on the other prisoners and the station officer, officers only signed it. Often Kozyol is allowed to beat other prisoners to maintain subordination. And of course, quite officially, Kozyol's duty is informed on other prisoners. The IK-7, Schlov, and IK's penal colony, for example, um, on Kozyol put it boldly, Trash cops told me to keep an eye on you. And, you know, at least two other didn't come out to perform their work very actively on, on this guy who was sent there. And again, quoting our source. <clears throat> In my own disciplinary ca case that led me being sent to internal lockup, kriatya, or closed, the decision was based, made on the basis of a written testimony composed by my roommate, which detailed how I was brought into the barrack, how I behaved, with whom I communicated, with whom I argued, with topic, what topics I discussed, etc. And this is the, this is the thing. In these so-called red prisons... Kazyols are often kind of, you know, uh, on equal standing with um, with uh, these thieves, the Blatni. They might actually, you know, give up the thieves for extra incarceration and then put thieves down. But then again, it's all on the level of uh, how much administration has actual control over the prison. Obviously, Putin thinks that he has to uphold these prison values to not to fall down from being a Blatnoi to becoming a Petuch. Which is a thing that Putin and you know our friend Lady Zaharchenko were almost certainly most worried about. And there is also the nuance, because uh, you know the case of Petuchs will be, and how to become one and how to avoid becoming one is the kind of the central thing of everything besides the order and everything. Because if you're a mujik, then you know Kazyol is below mujik, but he's still not a Petuch, so. So then there's also the nuance. In discussing the Petuch case, it must be noted that in addition to it, there's another related so-called sorta kind of case, the so-called separated before clarification case, those who are nakrushke, <clears throat> or so-called on the mug. The point is the following. For example, there's a suspicion that someone had homosexual contacts on the outside, but there is no sufficient proof of this suspicion. There's only a rumor. In this case, until confirmation or, or, or refutation of this accusation will appear, the person is nakrushke. <clears throat> he eats apart from the rest and uses only his own dishes. Hence the or origin of the term, separ uh, separate on the mug. A person can be for years in this status until blatnoi, or, you know, in other prisons, blatnoi in the black prison, or kajol, or operating officer in the red prison, confirms the accusation, which means they transfer him completely into the case of Petuchs, or kind of refutes it, which automatically makes him a mujik. 
The position of a, of a person who is uh, on this Nakrushke is very close to the position of a Petuch, but not equal to him. He can't drink tea with other inmates and has no right to vote on prison matters, uh, like Muzhiks have. And like in black prisons, uh, Kazli uh, don't also don't have a right to vote. But in red prisons, you know, you might actually, you know, if, if you're a professional criminal and you're in a red prison, you might want to stay Muzhik and not show that you're Blatnoi, because that might be bad. Also, if you're transferred to another prison, it's considered a massive crime to hide your, hide your case, because, you know, they'll find out eventually anyways. Everyone keeps telling me that. But yeah, this case is interesting because this is the only case when it's possible to transfer from a lower, ca lower case to the highest one. A, prison a prisoner, Nakrushke, is in a kind of quarantine in order to avoid physical contact with other convicts because others don't want to initiate contact with uh, these buggered or zashkwar. Everyone who, for example, drink tea with a separated person automatically get the same status. In other cases, separated or people makrushke are equal to the position to petuchs and it's quite easy to fall into the status. So basically, how does one become a petuch, which is like insane amount of rules which you have to obey, because becoming a petuch is like ruining your life in prison, which is what, you know, according to Apanyatiam, is what is the worst nightmare of everyone who commits crime in post-Soviet era. I'm going to give you a, quite an exhaustive list of cases in which the person is transferred into this downcast thing, or as they, uh, as they called the fag corner, the harem, the, the corner of roosters. First of all, uh, you become a petuch automatically if you have passive homosexual contacts. Persons who admit to experience of homosexual contact have forever, are forever getting the label of petuch, or fag, or whatever. Active homosexuality is, however, considered normal and is not considered as homosexuality, it's considered normal behavior. And although it's noteworthy that, you know, in the last 10 years these concepts have been changed, because those who have sex with petuchs are considered as suspicious. Yeah. So, it's kind of weird, because there are the working petuchs who actually serve as male prostitutes in male prisons, but uh, there's actually quite, you know, it's very little prison rape there. It's kind of okay if you, uh, you know, if you buy the ser the sex services from petuch and you give him something for that, like, you know, some uh, some smuggled in a can of... Can of uh, canned meat or, or some cigarettes or whatever, that's okay, but if you fuck a petuch and you don't give anything for him, uh, then that might be considered that you do it out of love and that puts you on suspicious list because you're not supposed to love them. Also, what brands you a petuch is any non-traditional, according to prison, ranking sexual relations with a woman. If the prisoner admits to performing cunnilingus or if she was doing him a blowjob and then he kissed her, or, you know, eating or drinking out from the same dish... Uh, with a woman, he becomes a petto. And naturally, it's al almost impossible to learn about this against the will of the person, so in most cases, people fall into the fag zone after their own relations. You have to understand that no one has the right, despite threats or trickery, to inquire about your sexual life. About it, by the way, in the 90s, there was a special message, Malyava, kite containing innovation and rules, basically, in the, th in the thieves, and the thieves kind of, uh, these unwritten laws, but yeah, Pragon, or Malyava, or whatever, these things are kind of um, changes in the thieves' constitution, so to speak, like everyone understands that. And, uh, you know, they actually they actually started punishing this, uh, and they made this special edition, because it's so very official, and it's, and it's weird how prisons work there. And this was done so uh, from the upper thieves, uh, Vorv Zakonye, who actually tried to decrease an oversized amount of petuchs in prisons, because, you know, hey, it was so easy becoming a petuch, 
that you know if you're if you're like the son of a war of Zakonia or some some of his relative, and then you find out your relative is a petuch now. According to criminal law, you're supposed to remove him from your family because like right now, for example, you're allowed to kind of touch him. You're, you're allowed to, to beat up a petuch or whatever. You can just shove him aside, which wasn't allowed previously. That automatically made you a one yourself. So they try to kind of limit it with at least some reasoning here. In some ways, by the way, prison stuff too was also trying to deal with this problem. For example, uh, again, this comes from from uh, Belarus prisons. For, for example, in Zdonio uh, jail, before a person was sent into the cell, the operating officer would instruct him: "Remember, you never suck the dick or lick the pussy." This also includes communication with homosexuals in, in kind of um, in the open world. Uh, in prison slang, this is called navole, on your own free will. If uh, someone suddenly mentioned that his friend is gay, for example, then that person Im- immediately would be counted as a peto. Any contacts with excrements, urine, and contain of dumpster. Man splashed with urine or one who pooped his hands in the toilet automatically becomes a peto. For this reason, for example, plumbers are considered as separated in these, you know, half petuchs in the majority of prisons. Because, you know, you can't touch it, you have to be careful with it, and you can also become a petuch when, you know, if, if someone takes a shit loudly and you're eating then that's considered that basically you have come in metaphorical contact with the, with the con- with the excrement tank automatically down to becoming a peto and there's a well-known study from uh, from Ivatsevich camp in in Russia that could be a good example of this in one of the sections there was a savhoz which is kind of a, <clears throat> the main kajol from that cast in the section person who, who controls conditions in section and is kind of a right-hand man of the administration who for a long time severely bullied one guy, abusing him ver- verbally in, like, every possible way. In revenge, that guy soaked the so-called savhoz with a jar of urine directly during the morning check in front of the line of inmates. Of course, the guy was beaten and put into a punishment cell. In theory, the fate of savhoz was foregone, but prison staff intervened in the situation. Probably this savhoz was a valuable asset for the administration. They announced to the convicts that savhoz was splashed with green tea and those who would call him a petuch would be beaten. Anyway, almost no one apparently spoke with this Savhoz after it, and the guy was sent to another prison, which really didn't didn't quite help much, because, you know, you have to, technically, if you're getting transferred, you have to admit your case. And again, from from Mikolai, quote, I also personally know a petuch who fell into this case because his head struck against the toilet bowl during a fight in the youth colony. As for dumpster contact, people can fall into downcast when they overmuch want to smoke and search for cigarette butts in a dumpster. This also should include such cases as unintentional touching of someone's genitals, for example, when sleeping in the shower room. But, to be honest, it should be said that for people with health problems, an exception is sometimes made, depending on the adequacy of decision makers. For example, if a man has, you know, urinary incontinence, he will not be transferred into petuch case. Yeah. Uninten- unintentional touching of someone's genitals, like holding holding your basically, you know, if you if you hold your dick while peeing, that's considered very bad. You shouldn't do that. Not even your own. Which is crazy. These petuchs also do the most dirtiest dirtiest jobs in the colony. Strictly, petuchs types of work are cleaning of toilets, cleaning of wash basins, as well as taking out the garbage. Doing anything of this automatically relegates the person to this petuch case. Here's an example that, that happened in Mogilev, another colony, another story from these 
prisons. A man was standing at the check line. Suddenly, he really wanted to use the, the bathroom. He ran as fast as he could, but couldn't reach it. He took a shit before reaching the toilet. Being perhaps a bit shy and conscious, conscious person, he wanted to clean after himself. He took a broom, a rag, and this was seen by some of the prisoners who called Zavhoz as witness, who verified transfer to downcast. Informal rules prohibiting the cleaning of toilets, by the way, is very convenient for the prison staff when they need to put any prisoner in punishment cell. You know, because no one does that, so you can easily go there. Every section has an official schedule of cleaning that is not taking into account any case system. At the same time, everybody knows that only Petuks clean the toilet. Political prisoner Igor Olinievich was many times, by the way, put in punishment cell in Belarus for refusing to clean toilets. And for sure, any prisoner in his right mind, in this weird-ass system of crazy prison laws, would agree to serve any amount of days in a tiny cold room without personal belongings than to become a Petuch. Prison staff know this completely well and gladly use this uh, th this as a convenient tool for pressure on, on any undesirables. They will also torture you for this. They'll apply electrical shock and, you know, get into a bunch of scandals, because the, the, the prison administration is often in a co complete and direct con uh, conflict with the whole uh, with the whole Blatnoi system and everything like that. But then again, these Blat Blatnoi are kind of important because, again, because of this whole Obshak thing, they are also the ones who get stuff into prison, and this is where a story from my service job comes in, because one of the things that modern technology has allowed for prisons is that, yeah, you can't have gaming consoles inside of a prison now. Now, obviously, you know, you can't have computers or phones with, with Wi-Fi or internet access or anything. Actually, you can't have cell phones in general in prison, even though they are there, and through them, obviously, Blatnia contact guys outside of prison, but, you know, contact with the outside world is what, what the guys there really want. So, one of the things that we no longer do here, because apparently, before I started working there, we sometimes did this request, but then, then, uh, then some bad, then, then some kind of people from the actual, like, state authorities arrived at the service and, you know, explained what, the, what was wrong with this, so we no longer do this service, just so you know. There are these uh, USB flash sticks, which basically give you Wi-Fi. You know, uh, they are uh, kind of the wireless modems, which um, which are basically sold by phone companies, which you basically can plug into your computer and get, get like, internet. It's a very slow internet, it uses 4G, but we have, like, okay, maybe not that slow right now, but used to be much slower previously, but essentially it's a USB flash stick which you plug in and then it gives you mobile, like, cell cellular internet. The thing is... Oftentimes, we would get asked to put those things into people's, like, PlayStation 3s or PlayStation 4s or Xboxes or whatever, so that they could be smuggled into prison, but we also had to put them in, we were asked to put them in in such a way that if you didn't know the SSID, then you couldn't find the, uh, the stick and the internet stuff. If you know the SSID of the Wi-Fi, you can connect to it, and then you can use your uh, console to browse the internet, but if you don't know about it, if you don't know the ID, then you won't find kind of the Wi-Fi, it won't show up anywhere. Obviously, that's highly illegal, but that's one of the questions that people actually come and request here. Other requests usually uh, involve upgrading, uh, upgrading the hard drives of these consoles and just modifying them in general, but obviously highly illegal, so that's what we, that's what we don't do. But yeah, just one of the things, and for example, it would be a blood noise job to organize such a Wi-Fi for his kind of cha chamber and anything. 
But Kerry gone from Mikolai and other stories about this prison system. What, what else makes you an automatic pedo? Pedophiles almost always fall into the harem. And people say, you know, over here these parts that prison rapists are always raped, but as far as recent prison stories are are told, they're not. With some rapists, some prisoners can refuse to drink tea, but nothing much more. As for pedophiles, they have a more unenviable fate. And apparently, until very recently, they were forced to transfer to Petuch case from moment of entering the detention center without even waiting for the verdict. However, technically, as the red prisons are still improving and this constant fight and this constant fight against the void of Zakonia and all this weird prison law technically happening, and as the prison administration gets more power, you know, th this whole takes their toll of the prison system. And Mikhail himself apparently has seen at least two pedophiles who are not separated and live almost the same as others. Of course, quote, <clears throat> they were quiet as lambs and not every convict allowed them to sit on his bunk or even to speak to them, but there is a tendency, especially in first-time convict prisons. You become a petuch if you spend some time in a cell with petuchs. The exact period of time varies. Sometimes it's just, you know, it's an hour, ten minutes, whatever. Sometimes it's a day. According to the concepts, if someone enters into such a cell, it needs to be done so that petuchs themselves would try to leave the cell in the man's state. But it's clear that physically it's almost impossible. Any man who's had a physical, except sexual, contact with a petuch or used his personal belongings are just transferred into this case. At least it was so in the old days, but any contact with petuchs is completely forbidden. I mean, right now, as the prisons have gotten overcrowded, especially in Russia, and you know, these, these ex-prisoners and the whole prison culture becoming stronger and stronger, they have their own YouTube channels, so the one that I watched, which was made like in this year, states that, yeah, you won't shake his hand or even greet him, but you know, you can speak with him, Technically, you can push him aside and it's not so strict anymore, but you don't take his stuff and, you know, you don't take anything from him, you don't share dishes with him, whatever. You just don't do it. Because giving something to Petuch is possible. Taking something from him leads to becoming Petuch oneself. And this whole idea about, you know, spending, spending some time alone with them means that, hey, the other prisoners can't tell if, you've, if you had some sexual contact with him. So, obviously, you know, you might have, and, you know, there's a, there, there's a quite a big chance that you had, even though you might have never had it, so this, this makes you a zashkvar, which is this concept of contacted thingy. Uh, previously, by the way, uh, it happened, you also became a petuch if you stole uh, from other prisoners, which is called, you could be called a rat, and you could be snubbed. That that also makes you a petuch, or at least it did. A while ago, now it's just less enforced. But it's everything about this kind of, superstitious and fear of the impure. It, it's kind of crazy. It, it kind of reminds you of the ritual stuff of Jews and Muslims, but hey, if according to the Torah, a person who touches, for instance, carrions will be unclean until the evening, according to the prison code, man splashed with urine will be petuch for the rest of his life, even if he'll be released and will go back to prison after like 30 years or something. What is the life of a petuch in prison, which is the, the scariest thing ever for anyone? And yeah, that is like I said, this is the basis of, of all of these all of these things that you're not supposed to work with the authorities, you're not supposed to do with unclean things, being an impure and whatever. Well, in a nutshell, it's an absolute sheer hell. According to these Panyatia, a petuch has no rights. He has no right to argue, to retort, to defend his dignity, because it is considered that he has no dignity. Others can beat, humiliate, and mock him. 
When an ordinary prisoner, a mujik, and a petuch walk over the barracks hall, the latter is obliged to lean against the wall in order to avoid touching the other prisoner, otherwise he may be beaten. At least this is so in these so-called open, open system prisons in Russia, because like I said, where the administration is stronger, which is paradoxically the stronger kind of prisons, the harsher prisons, then this might not be true. You don't need to stand next to a wall in a red prison, but in the black one, and especially in the youth colonies, by the way, because prison culture right now is super strong and kind of important and popular, especially among the youth colonies in all this post-Soviet thing, because apparently the older you get, the milder this becomes, and, you know, the more reasonable the rules become. But the the young guys who just, you know, have that decided to lead this rash criminal life, yeah, according to kind of the uh, older prisoners, uh, older ex-prisoners who kind of po have posted about this on YouTube, they say the young kids are the worst. The first-timers, the 18-year-olds in, in the in the kind of adult adult prisons, they're the worst, and the youth colonies are literally the worst about this. There, there they fully enforce no touching rule. There, they fully enforce like you know, the wall rule and everything. Well, it's it kind of gets gets a bit more mellow as time passes on. Many believe, and that's a pop popular misunderstanding, that a person becomes petuch through rape in prisoner jail, and even though they're treated horribly by everyone else, they're beaten up and they're like treated like people, like non-people, essentially, they are the lowest of the low. It's not so. It was so about 15-20 years ago. But today, at least, it practically does not occur in, in prisons in the post-Soviet sphere. So this is what, what the, these, these prisoners report to me. And this is kind of weird. Today's prisons are much more controlled of the, of the administration as before. And, you know, this raped Petuch can write a statement against the rapist. And its custodial penalty will then be increased, obviously. What's the benefit for the administration? And this is where this whole political system comes in and why this whole prison culture, and especially this Petuch case, which is the more important one of all these things, this comes in. Why the state, the Russian state and Belarusian state and these, these, these countries, why would this administration allow these savage medieval case systems with its untouchable vassals and like prostitutes to exist in prisons? It's inhumane, cruel, and illegal, and like according to any rule. Prison staff could stop it, and, and you know, in harsher prisons they sort of do, but why wouldn't they discipline it? For one, they don't need it. See, the thing is that I spoke about the red and black prisons. And yeah, one of the most, one of the most interesting things that, um, uh, at least in Belarus, <clears throat> like there are prisoners who've se served time there, because Bel Belarus is... This is kind of the same thing as Russia, because, you know, everything that I say here about Belarus works in Russia as well, that a lot of these prisons went from black, which is under prisoner control, to red under administration, but obviously there are still black prisons out there. And the guys sitting in the red prisons just, just state that now it's the same as before, only instead of the thieves, blatnye, now there are, you now you have kajols. Earlier, vodka and mobile phones were under noise, but now under the kajols. If earlier for screw-ups, Mujik was beaten by thieves, now he's beaten by kajols. It's kind of weird, to, and tellingly, even the faces of these informal leaders are often the same. During the active breaking of prison and its reshaping, where do you think, like, all these operating officers took these loyal Zavhoz and Kajols and everything in room orderlies ready to do their orders? They were recruited from yesterday's thieves, these yesterday's Blatnois, who quickly betrayed their criminal idea because they were threatened with, for example, being sent to covered prison, or loss of privileges, or just a few times were put into the punishment cell. So, today, kind of these red prisons are run by administration, who literally tortures them, 
prisoners who have firmly mended their ways, but every inch of whose bodies is covered with criminal tattoos and whose fists are like pumped with Vaseline. Despite the formal contradiction in functions, the confluence of the criminal world and correctional stuff and enforcing of, enforcing of this brutal case system is noticeable. It's also kind of a, a linguistic level here, it's kind of a thing. The, the officers use prison slang not less actively than convicts. The same patooks are snubbed and humiliated by prison staff, often worse than by their fellow criminals. They even have their own separated among prison workers, by the way, who are outcasts in a circle of colleagues, because this case system often steeps into, steeps into authorities. And there's a story from, from a Belarusian source where he says that in his IK-15 prison there worked kind of this uh, separated inspector. Colleagues didn't drink tea with him, he was the only one who could frisk petuchs. And such cases are not unique. Another prison from Novosadi, from, from studies... Uh, of a prisoner, there was even a separated officer about whom colleagues had found out that he had this uh, wrong sex with his wife. As a result, they stopped to drink tea with him and began to defiantly despise him. Moreover, even prisoners snubbed this officer with impunity, and there are such of these examples. Interestingly, many of the prisoners uh, of, of, of late have uh, kind of expressed opinion on their YouTube channels and whatever that soon petuchs will not exist because everyone will be forced to clean toilets. They often add, add that, uh, you know, authorities need to, quote, look decent in front of Europe and the West. Yeah, there are, there are political analysts about this. However, this probably won't happen in the near future in the kind of Russian, Belarusian, all this Kazakhstan prisons to all this post-Soviet prison system, because the reason is the same. The existence of Petuks significantly facilitates kind of this controllability and everything. And that is the, that is the most interesting thing. You have to have this utterly devastating class, which is completely oppressed, which kind of, you know, makes sure the prison is controlled. It's, it's even facilitated by the administration. And now the big mind-blowing things. If you think about it, Putin and his cronies, they know about this system. And Mr. Zaharchenko, well, he was a kajol, essentially. He screwed up, I think. So, you know, had to be liquidated. This idea about being a blatnoi and, you know, doing things with muzhik and, and everything, it's important for Putin. Because obviously, just as the prison administration keeps the populations and prisons in Russia in control, especially with the huge amount of political prisoners, the same can be said for, for the higher-ups there. Because, yes, Russia is a mafia state, and this is what it means for it to be. They need to pay their dues into the obshak. He Putin, to keep his, keep his top dog the mega smatryashi, kind of the chief among the Blatnois position up there, he needs to take control of everything. He's gonna be, he's only going to be on top as long as he can keep his elite other Blatnoi friends satisfied and as long as Papanyatia, according to this prison law, everything he's doing is okay. Once he can no longer does that, his authority goes down and he'll be dropped into a lower case, which is terrible. And all this society kind of, you know, is, is run papanyati, and, you know, you steal some things and you do that, but but this kind of mental image of machoism, ultimate crazy machoism of this attitude of that there are people who are just, you know, downtrodden for in so much as, you know, cleaning the toilet or whatever, and and, and all of this, all of this idea of, of running the whole country as, as one head blood runs the whole prison, 
this never gone away, really. And enforcement by the administration, you know, by breaking these criminal authorities and by actively working with them, and as you might have noticed lately, even partaking into drug trade openly by Yina Rashi and all that stuff. Yeah, it really reminds you of something. The existence of Petuchs makes everyone re really comfortable, because there is a position in prison where you don't want to go and you'd rather just fight and serve like extra time just not to become one. The enforcing of this downtrodden case with the fear that someone might go there and the hor of the horribleness of the country's prisons is probably one of the reasons how how they control this. And if you notice, they have like severely increased all the all the kind of guard thingies and and the policemen and everything in Russia. So this is the system. When you put these things down, and if you look at the context of Putin's political dealings, this fear of not becoming a pietuch kind of runs through this. It's a brutal system. It's uncivilized, but these are the prison laws. That you know, at some point or another, you know, you you um, you just learn about them in kind of everyday life here, and you know they they also are part of a lot of stories told to me. And then you know this is what I meant when I said that Soviet Union was a massive prison because you know everyone understood Papanyatium, where they are, who's the chief guy, and what happened. Now this is why Mr. Zaharchenko got a fate, which is basically served for everyone who's living by these criminal laws, because. You can't get away from it. You live in constant fear, and it's a if you if you screw up, you go downhill. That is why all these murders happen. Not a happy episode, but I think kind of culturally important one. Anyway, thank you, and uh, this has been Soviet and now modern day Russia's and Belarus's and all around prison culture. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. Thank you for all of my patrons, and thanks for people who've donated to me and are still like. I'm I'm almost I'm almost there with my goal, fly to Harvard, which where I'll be. So I hope it's gonna be great. I hope you enjoyed the episode and the Svidanya, Tavarish. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.